0: The <laughs> Welcome to Think Which Service from NHS Shropshire, Telford and Rekin. I'm Dr Hilary Jones and in this podcast I'm chatting with other healthcare professionals to get the best advice on how you can look after yourself and, if you need help, which is the best NHS service to use. There's a range of local NHS services and you don't always need to see a GP or go to A&E. We're here to help you to work all that out. Now in this episode we're talking about extended healthcare teams in general practice. Join me now is Lauren Jones. She's a dedicated primary care mental health practitioner, Jo Weaver-Jackson, a community and care coordinator, and Megan Chowns, a physician associate. Tell us what your experience is, um, how far you've come, where you've come from, and where you are now. Perhaps we can start with you, Lauren.
1: I'm a primary care mental health practitioner. I work for the Recon PCN. Um, My role is to see people with mental health issues in the GP surgeries. Um, So I work for three different GP surgeries across the PCN. Uh, My appointments are 45 minutes long and people can call um, the GP um, so they can call up their reception and book in directly with me. Or a GP can refer someone to me. Um, and uh, or any of the other professionals can refer someone into me as well.
0: Thank you, Laura and Joe.
2: I'm a community and care coordinator um, at Much Wenlock and Crescidge Medical Practice in Shropshire. So I predominantly signpost patients to non-clinical support services and help them navigate the social care system. And I have a particular interest in supporting family and unpaid uh, carers in the county. So that's what I, I spend a lot that. of time doing really in surgery. Um, I, I actually come from a sales and marketing background, which um, I've been in the National Health Service now for nearly six years. Um, but the, the main part of my job really is communication of service so it's something that, that that lends a hand really to to the role
0: Megan
3: I'm the physician associate for Southeast Shropshire primary care network so I work in the same area as Joe um, I work predominantly across two practices obviously we've just been having a conversation about how primary care networks work and because of being employed by the PCN myself I'm kind of across two practices um, And I've been qualified about two and a half years, um, been working in general practice since I qualified. Probably one of the things that I always try to make um, quite clear to my patients, obviously being a physician associate, Although I work predominantly alongside the doctors, there's a lot in the news and things at the moment about our role and just making it clear really that although we can take histories, examine patients, et cetera, et cetera, we aren't doctors at the end of the day. We work under the the supervision of a doctor and I think that's just important to make clear. Yes, we are here and we're here to see patients. We're here to help ease some of the workload off of the doctor's you know, it's clear to to make that we aren't doctors ourselves.
0: When I first started off in general practice, more years ago than I'd like to admit, um, we were very much um, uh, one man bands. Um, yes, we worked in a in a partnership, um, but it was very much the GP, um, uh, perhaps personal lists, um, and we would have access to community nurse, um, to uh, midwife, who would we would occasionally liaise with but now these extended teams have have been able to offer so much more um, and it's wonderful to be able to work with um, other professional colleagues in general practice Um, where would you see um, the the, the benefit um, the great the greatest benefits in the work that you do what do the teams consist of um, and and uh, how much of a difference do you think they're making again uh, lauren over to you first
1: i think that we're we're much more dynamic now than we used to be and um, the gp surgeries definitely are starting to become a lot more um, multi talented because we'll we're able to do a lot more than we perhaps were before um, the I mean, in the the past, GPs would have had to refer on to a secondary service um, for uh, things that they need specialist support for. But now we're able to provide that specialist support in GP surgeries. Um, So where my role comes into that is the mental health side of things um, and people with who anyone who has a mental health issue however big or small that may be, um, can refer into my service, um, directly from a GP practice, which is a huge change from the way that people used to access mental health care, um, where they would need a referral from the GP to, um, into secondary care services for mental health. And then there may, might be a long wait until they could actually see a mental health professional. Now that's completely changed and you can see a mental health professional with a matter of weeks.
0: That's so important. Um, you know back in the day um uh, we'd be faced with people with anxiety or depression or whatever um knowing that looking at the clock we've got 10 minutes per patient if that Um, and it would be an impossible task to to deal with that patient effectively. So this is making a huge difference, isn't it? And your patients must feel um, very much more satisfied that they can see somebody quite quickly.
1: Yes, so my appointments are 45 minutes long each, um, which is a huge change from a ten-minute consultation with a GP, um, and um, there's usually a huge sigh of relief when they realise that they've got a lot more time to talk about um, their mental health issues than they thought they did. Um, and I'm really glad that I can be there for people as well. Sometimes it's, you know, really difficult to talk about your um, what's going on with your mental health and it takes people a little time to ease into it and um, build up to being able to talk about the 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 real problem Um, and I'm glad that I'm there to be able to give that time now Um, and I think my patients are very happy as well well not 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 always but (laughs) they're happy with me no I'm
0: sure (laughs) I'm sure they're they're satisfied with with the uh, the access that they have And Joe, what about you? Tell me about your extended team and what sort of work you're doing.
2: So the role of community and care coordinator is very specific to a single surgery. um, And it very much complements the clinical support that that patients are receiving from doctors, nurses. But it extends it further. And I think the thing for me that I've learned is it it enables patients to have access to the right information and the right support at the right time. So in in terms of a, a clinical appointment, if you take, for argument's sake, a dementia review, a clinical review, in our surgery, the reviews are done every six months. Uh, The patients will come in with the the, the person that cares and the carer, and they will meet and have a clinical review for for that patient with with, with the GP. And they're then offered um, more of a social care review with me, which focuses more on the carer. So my role is very much um, taking the time to then look at the larger picture away from the specific, you know, the patient, if you like, within that clinical review, to look at the uh, the carer. Um, their situation. And it's very much preventative, really. We're preventing crisis. We're equipping them with the knowledge, the tools and the support at the right time. So your clinical review, for argument's sake, could be the the, um, initial diagnosis stage where it's quite overwhelming. There's lots of information to take in. And a, a, a GP or clinician would, would literally bombard a patient with everything at that time in that appointment before then maybe six months for, a, for another review. So my follow-up is um, appropriate and it sort of is intermittent between each clinical review and it's at the time that, that they can take in that information really.
0: It must be an enormous relief to carers um, because they, they have you know historically been so neglected um, just get on with it kind of thing. Doctors might talk to the patient um, uh, and then it would be very, very much get on with it. And the, and the carer with no information, no support, not knowing what services are available. Um, and it, it must be very much of a relief to them to know that you're there and they can come and talk to you.
2: Hugely. I mean, it's a really lovely role because literally my job description is to help. Um, I signpost patients. I support emotionally in that sense, really, along the way, but not going as far as maybe a social prescriber, but the signpost in itself. You you do sort of forge relationships with these carers. And when I was quite new to post was actually just after COVID. And all of the, the isolation you just mentioned was, you know, exaggerated in that scenario, obviously. And my task, if you like, was a lot of our information about patient carers was diluted with with, with COVID because we had a lot of care workers as opposed to family carers being coded on a system. If you remember the the, the, the rollout of vaccines and things, people were putting their hands up, I'm a a care worker. And so that very much conflicted our data. So I set about sort of cleansing that data, if you like, and um, making sure all of our information was up to date. Um, and in doing so, and in looking at um, and, and speaking to carers, I noticed there was a real pattern of non-attendance of their own appointments, of low mood, of depression, of stress, and anxiety, and all of these things that very much go, um, you know, if we're just looking at that, they're in, they're in surgery a lot, but it's not about them. And, and really, they've got to be so... Um, robust at home you know when they, 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 they are caring 24-7 and so these GP appointments that may be where they're taking their, their cared for person in are, are very short and you know the time with me sort of fills those gaps and connects them most importantly I think to the community. Um, we lost a lot of volunteers, we lot lost, lost, lost a lot of patient groups um, through COVID so for me to be able to know what's available in the community in terms of other services within the GP surgery but also in the community itself um, is is key befriending is is one example where you can you know match families to to, to services like that 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 maybe aren't clinical but give such um, sort of ammunition really for for them to to be resilient in their caring role
0: you're absolutely right about the resilience I mean they are the unsung. Uh, heroes, aren't they, of, of, of health services. Um, they often have to give up their jobs and, and, and their their own uh, quality of life to look after a loved one, um, if, if they are the relative. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's hugely difficult, the patience that they require um, to carry on doing what they're doing, um, you know, and the fatigue they, they suffer from. I mean, do you find, Lauren, that that many of the people that you look after are, are carers themselves?
1: Actually, yes. There's many, many people come. I mean, people come for so many different reasons, but there are people who come who... Um, are, are they are carers or the carers for multiple family members so um they've they've got their own children um and then they've also, they're also looking after their mum and their dad as well um, and they're moving from one um one house to another trying to care for both people um and you know i I'm, i do see multiple um people coming with stress burnout from that and it's very emotional as well looking after a loved one because they're unwell and um, that that you care about them, so you have a really invested emotional interest in their well-being, and that can really take a toll on um, on on people's mental health.
0: Now, in general practice, we talk about looking after people from the cradle to the grave, from the womb to the tomb. What sort of age groups do you mainly deal with?
1: I see anybody above the age of 18. um, And so that really spans from the age of 18 all the way up to 70s, 80s. Is
0: that the same for you, Joe? Same age age groups?
1: Yes,
2: I do. So 18 plus, And we are um, a rural practice ageing population. So I'll be honest, it's GPs and nurses within surgery, another um, organisation that signposts to myself that, that refer in to me. And I have to say probably 75 percent of my work is with sort of 60 and above. Okay. Just just really where we are in the nature of what I'm, what I'm supporting. Yes.
0: And, and you say that you you work predominantly within single surgeries um uh so how do you liaise with other uh, gps in in the primary care network how does that work
2: for myself with community and care coordinator i am solely at one surgery um so in terms of we have our PCN, and it would be would be the southeast so i have um I refer into services which cover multiple surgeries so um, we have a network of community and care coordinators I think the reason why it works so well that we work individually in each surgery is every community is quite different and you are linking that surgery and that um, that that service to to the community itself.
0: Lauren for those people who don't know about primary care networks um, just outline what they are and, and, and how you work within them.
1: OK, so um, a primary care network is a, a group of GP surgeries or a cluster of GP surgeries that have got together and formed um, a primary care network. Um, in my specific um, G, uh, primary care network, we have three GP surgeries, um, but other PCNs have um, much more or um, maybe less. I don't know. Um, three seems to be the, the minimum. I haven't actually seen less than that um, in a PCN. Um, they, um, I think they, so some of the positive things about having a PCN is that, um, they have a shared, shared budget for, um, different professionals. So there's some professionals like myself who, um, work across the whole PCN. Um, it also helps, um, with referral, referring on to other services in secondary care as well, because they will know what PCN the person's come from and that might f- help them form their teams as well um, in secondary care. Um, I work across three GP surgeries, so um, I work two days a week in, in one surgery, two days a week in another one, and one day a week at the third one
0: how do you collaborate um within that um network uh within that whole sort of um expanse of 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 different disciplines how do you liaise and collaborate for the benefit of patients give me some examples of how it works really well
1: say for example when i'm working at hollins um so i work at. Wellington Medical Practice, Dawley Medical Practice, and Hollinswood Medical Practice. If I'm working at Hollinswood Medical Practice and I see a patient who say um, is also also has back it, back it, um, pain, um, then I can refer them directly to the physio um, uh, on a, on another day. So there doesn't need to be that time where they call up the um, call up reception again and book in again I can book them directly in with the physio um, and then um, and then so we're sort of working together. Um, Another um, referral that I quite often do is to our social prescriber and um, we're almost like a little team and um, our social prescriber also works for the PCN so she works across all the the same GP surgeries as me but on different days Um, and I can if I've got a patient who also has any social issues like I think they um, need some more social activities or they would like some other activities to do or anything to do with housing or um, uh, employment um, I can refer directly to the social prescriber to help them um, further with their mental health with with another professional who's more expert in that than me.
0: <laughs> Megan, tell us about the demands that you're facing at the moment.
3: The same as everybody's been saying, really. We're just seeing a lot of, of pressure, really, um, from all sorts of walks of life. Um, I'd say that particularly sort of... Um, from a clinical perspective, we obviously are in a kind of aging population, um, seeing lots of people getting older, and as that happens, obviously lots of health problems come with that. Um, with my role, I work predominantly alongside the doctors, um, taking histories, examining patients, you know, coming up with a potential diagnoses and management plans. Um, so it's just trying to deal with that demand really of, of of patient load
0: is it your impression that that we are genuinely seeing more mental health uh, issues than we have in the past that perhaps we were more focused on physical illness before and, and, and now we, we've suddenly come to terms with the fact that we've got this massive epidemic of anxiety and depression and um and mental health uh, ill health generally
3: Definitely. I mean, like I say, I, I've only been working sort of the past two and a half years, but I would say a, a massive part of my workload that I see as well is is mental health and in a range of ages as well, you know, from, from young children up to more elderly people and whether part of that is to do with um, sort of social media expressing more about it being okay to go and ask for help or whether genuinely it is just a, a, a rise in, in people struggling to sort of And the people really. coming in
0: when they first feel uh, under stress or do you think people are, are waiting too long? Do you think we've made it easier for people? Are we, are we dealing with the stigma of mental ill health? Uh, are people getting better at coming forward and saying, I need help?
3: I definitely feel over the time that I have been working, I am seeing, like, say, different ranges of people, um, more men as well, perhaps, than we might have seen previously. Um, I think there is an awful lot of stigma predominantly around the male population and their mental health. Um, so it is nice to see that there are men coming forwards. And obviously, you know, we are, underfunded under resourced particularly in mental health and it's where roles like Lauren and and myself can be there to add extra appointments to make people aware that you know it's okay to come in and and speak to somebody about your mental health and that's exactly what we're here for.
0: So important in fact my last meeting uh, this morning was with um, a friend of mine I was at medical school with who's a consultant psychiatrist and he was scratching his head and saying I don't know what people have to do these days to, to, to be seen, even if they have suicidal thoughts. And for a consultant psychiatrist to be telling me that as a GP, it's really worrying. How important is it that you can liaise with people like Joe uh, and um, and Lauren um, in helping you to deal with all this?
3: Well, you know, so, so important because it's it's not just a case of of dealing with. Just with somebody's mental health, it's thinking about all the other external factors in somebody's life and um, thinking about how we can help with these other pressures. And I think when you've got extra members of the team that might know uh, better about the resources that are available or are able to signpost people to the appropriate services, I think by all liaising and working together, we can get the best outcomes really for patients.
0: Joan, if I come back to you and, and talking about um, the kind of patients that you see, how do people access um, your your um, your assistance and, and a consultation with with you?
2: Referrals usually come in to me from GPs and nurses who maybe identify maybe some of those external factors that Meg has mentioned, maybe in the case of a carer, and um, so it's usually internal. But I have to say. I've been in post now at the surgery for a couple of years and patients do now know I'm there. And so they do ring in now. And I have an occasion where a a, a lady sort of mentioned to a friend, you know, you need to speak to Joe at the surgery because she can help with that. Um, I am only in um, sort of two days a week because the community and care coordinators, coordinators have a certain allocation per week. But the things I tend to deal with aren't really urgent imminent but it's that general follow-up and the consistency of service there so my referrals have definitely been increasing over the two years but um, other service providers do refer into me as well which is brilliant and I think the community and care coordinators are a great inroad into a surgery because at the end of the day we're in surgery where diagnoses are made we can identify you know these carers at early stages when that initial support education of all of these wonderful services that We only really know that they're here because we're in the system, but patients, for them to know, we have to communicate them and signpost them at the right time. Otherwise, you would think there was no service there, but there's so much there within our surgeries, within the, you know, supporting organisations and the communities themselves. So we just need to lead patients to it appropriately so they get that support at the right time.
0: and, And I bet these carers feel enormously relieved that there is somebody there that they can talk to, take their problems to and get assistance with.
2: Yeah, and I say like the pressure in general practice and I understand the frustration of maybe the fear almost of not being able to get appointments. And, you know, there's that stigma with the receptionist asking too many questions, but you have to in order to determine the problem because, okay, a doctor might not be available today, but we have these other service, you know, these are the people who... Who can help you? Um so it it must be reassuring. And I think I in that environment, I have actually worked um an experienced reception, dare I say. And I in my role as as community and care coordinator. Do you know what? I've only had thanks and people being um, grateful, be it patients, carers in whatever situation, Um, because as I say, the role is there to help. And there are so many solutions to, you know, the time restraints and the resources we have so much available. We just need to lead patients to it. And communicate effectively. And I mentioned earlier my role was in marketing prior to this for I don't know, sixteen years, prior to coming to the health service. And I think that's really key because we've got to make sure that not only I communicate to, to patients and carers, but we all between ourselves you know the receptionists need to be aware of the services available locally not just within surgery and not just within the PCN I'm talking about in the community itself there is so much available so we just need to communicate between us and I think that works I I can honestly say I feel that works really really well um, in the areas that you know I've been involved and I think we do it
0: well. I know you do, and and it's that's why this podcast and the and the website, which we're going to talk about, is 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 so important for, for patients and carers and healthcare professionals alike. Lauren, you said you you work two days in in one practice, two days in another, and and a fifth somewhere else. I mean, there aren't enough hours in the day, are there?
1: Uh, no, definitely not. <laughs> I um I, I wish that I could spend more time at each practice, and I think that um, if if anything could be better, there would be more of more of us, more of me. Maybe, um, maybe another another or or maybe three, one one for each practice. <laughs> um, yeah. So it, it can get um. I I think so. Traveling from one place to another is not as um. It's not as tiresome as I thought it would be. So I have no problem visiting the the different practices. Um, but, uh, there's definitely not enough, um, appointments to, to fit the, to fit all the patients that that want to see me. It would be nice if I could see more.
0: Absolutely. You know, Megan, just listening, listening to this, it, it's true, isn't it? That, uh, you, you know, w- without the help that we get now in general practice, uh, it, it really would be an impossible job. It's pretty impossible already. What, what do you think we could still do better, um, how do you think we could do things differently, if at all, to improve services for patients?
3: I think probably one of the main things which Joe has kind of touched upon already is the kind of education really for patients to make them aware of what resources are available, um, what the roles mean and, you know, allowing them to have a better understanding of who might be most appropriate for them to see. Um, about their problem, and you know, ensuring that they're signposted as well to the correct services.
0: I mean, it's so much better than it was even a few years ago. Um, it was difficult enough to get a counsellor mm. for a half a day uh, in a surgery that I worked in with with uh, ten doctors. Um, but now it sounds certainly in your area that it's getting very much better. But but it's quite patchy, isn't it, Joe? Uh, I mean, not not all areas have. Uh, the same sort of um, access to facilities that that seem to be there in Shropshire and Telford and Reakin?
2: Yeah, I think areas can vary quite a lot. I mean, even within our own, you know, within my own PCN, I think things can can vary. And I do know with the CNCC role, not every surgery has one. You know, um, some just have the social prescribers. So that is one of the challenges I think I find is um, my role has changed slightly and I'm sort of now working... um, as from the new year working not as a CNCC but supporting CNCCs within the uh, my PCN and yeah massive challenge that that Things are different and each surgery is very different, which is something I've learned. We have a duty doctor. The way our duty doctor works and appointments are allocated, I took as a given because I was actually a patient at the surgery I worked. And it's not, you know, services do differ. Um, E-consult that was, it's it's a a way of um, liaising with your GP online. I attended a clickers group, which is um, a community group for um, enabling people to have IT support, you know, to enable them to order groceries online and uh, to be able to book appointments with a GP online and these things. And I went and did um, a, a, a chat on how to do that and educating them on how to, to access the, the GP online for ease of appointment, really, and not having to ring and queue. And again, not every surgery has that. So surgeries and PCN do, and areas just vary so very much. Um,
0: Lauren, I want to talk to you a bit more about social prescribing. Um, It was a concept that didn't even exist 20 years ago Um, and of course it's been very helpful. We we hear so much about loneliness, um, isolation um, and the fact that that can speed cognitive decline, uh, depression and even suicide um, in so many people. Tell me more about social prescribing and what can be achieved.
1: Social prescribing. I um, I don't actually like the term social prescribing because I think people hear the word prescribing and they automatically think it's got something to do with medication. So I'm forever having to explain what the social prescribing means to my patients when I'm referring them. Um, and uh, it's so it's all to do with social social aspects of life, so, social a- economical a- aspects of life. Um, and that social activities um, support with finding housing. So um, they don't exactly um, they don't they don't exactly have a array of houses that you can pick and <laughs> and go to. But they know about they know all the services, so they can signpost you to the to services that can help. Um, and they can also. Um, uh, sometimes advocate for you as well so maybe call up the council on your behalf while you're with them um, and speak speak to them about why 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 have hasn't they been why haven't they put, been put on this waiting list or they've been on a waiting list for so long and and, and I have seen her my so my, our social prescriber at Recon PCN I've seen her successfully find Um, a patient at home um, and um, that patient came to see me afterwards and she was like so thank you so much so she she really um she really can help with housing and finding finding employment um, support with writing cvs and um uh, interview techniques. Um, she's also there as um, a, as a listening ear for people who need some someone to talk to because they're lonely. But also they are um, so her main uh, maybe the main role or the one that we know the most is the social activities. And um, she uh, she just knows everything about anything to do with social activities in Telford um she she can signpost to some really excellent groups because there's some really good activities out there for any for anyone so whether you've got mental sometimes specifically for people with mental health issues but also just people who want need hobbies and interests like yoga classes or um there's a there's a men's shed group um there's a men's walk walk and talk um there's um there's a, there's a, another group for men that i'm thinking of called um Tom Tom's Hub um that's uh, run by volunteers um and then um f- this um places for women as well so i'm trying to think of everything now because i'm not the social prescriber that's um that that's why i refer to her because she knows more than me <laughs> um but there's things like the Calm's cafes um for people with mental health issues what i love about the Calm's cafes is that they're open between Um, five and eight pm. Um, so they're after the other coffee shops have closed. Like you, you can go and get a cup of coffee or a hot drink, um, uh, after five o'clock, which is like unheard of. (laughs) Uh, Forever trying to get a cup of coffee after um after work or something. Um so uh, so they're there at the the times that people are um maybe the most loneliest because other services have closed. Um and yeah, so she's great for that. She she'll offer I think she offers sort of up to six sessions as well. So um you'll go back, she'll she'll um sort of do an assessment with you and then she will Um, talk to you about what social activities you might like to do Um, and then she will um, find the services in the area that you might like Um, and then she kind of sets you the task to go out and do them Um, and then you can see her again um, for for the next appointment. I'm not sure how long close they are together um, but you don't have to have done everything by the time you see her again because it's just a it's a learning process and it can be a slow process sort of getting back out into um into the world if you if you are isolated and um you are struggling sorry to go on but i'm probably so excited about the social prescribing
0: <laughs> no it, it's really important i mean it's part of you know holistic practice of medicine isn't it about the whole person and, and back in the day, when I took over from the um, partner who was retiring in my practice, he gave me a list of patients he thought I should go and see As uh, when we still did home visits. Uh, and it turns out that they actually weren't the most in need medically. They just wanted to share a bit of ginger cake and a cup of tea with the doctor and, and talk about everyday life and, and, their, and their troubles. And and it was something that I really enjoyed and, and sadly that's been taken away from general practice now. We, we, we often do end up sitting in front of a computer following protocols and, and not have time to look into the patient's eyes and take hold, hold of their hand and say, you know, tell me about you and your life and what's going on. And, and that's part of what I think medical practice should still be, but we're under such intense pressure uh, Megan you know you're you're nodding with me here because you know tell me more about that how, how you do you feel you can still engage with patients um uh, to some extent uh, or or is it all handed over now to to uh, your assistants in the team
3: yeah i mean it, it's hard isn't it like you say with the the pressures and things that we're under and having you know 10 to 15 minute appointment times with people and you know they're here to show you i don't know a mole but actually You kind of realize, and in conversation, something deeper gets brought up, and they mention that they, you know, have been struggling financially or something. And um, it can be really difficult to sort of get that balance sometimes. And um, you don't want to feel like you're ignoring somebody that is struggling with something, you know, in their external life. And I think. Having these roles is is great because it is the ability to then signpost and they can talk to somebody then about it and not feel like, you know, I mentioned it, but I only had 10 minutes of the appointment, so I didn't feel like I was being listened to. It's kind of that bridge then really between the the clinical and the non-clinical side of things. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I I do try my best really in my appointments to – run over if I have to a little bit if somebody happens to have mentioned something to do with you know their mental health or or the social aspects of their life and and you know touch on that as well because like you say is that holistic approach to treating a patient and we are all human at the end of the day I think we sometimes forget that a little bit in medicine.
0: I've often said the sign of a good GP is one who continually runs late because they care about the patient so much that they never stick to time I think that's still true do you ever get the luxury of a double appointment being able to see the patient again and again if necessary and give them a bit more time?
3: Yeah I mean in terms of sort of follow-up and things like that I'm a permanent member of staff at the practices that I work at so I do try and build that rapport and that relationship with my patients and allow them to have that follow-up and continuity of care you know where it's needed. Um, It always depends really I think more from the receptionist's Point of view whether they uh, feel it's it's needed to be a double appointment if they're the ones that are booking it in. Often, if there's a, a couple of problems that the the patient has mentioned to receptionist, then then they will book it as a double, which is is nice because you don't want to skim over things and feel like you're missing something. Um, but again, I guess that's part of being open to the receptionist. And as I think it was Joe was saying earlier, you know, they're not asking you all these questions just to be nosy It's so that they can make sure that you're being signposted to the appropriate person and, and getting the, uh, you know, appropriate care, really.
0: Thank you. And I want to talk a little bit about um, resilience. Um, h- how do we build resilience, Joe, in children, uh, teenagers, Older people who are, are are feeling down. How do we build them up? Give them a bit more confidence and and encourage resilience.
2: I think we need to work very much with the communities, and this is one thing that um, do you know. I've I was saying when I started this this role, and I started off focusing on carers, and um, I found a lot of things after COVID that I was signposting patients to were Shrewsbury or Bridge North, which to me I drive. It healthy I can get there 10-15 minutes but to someone that's struggling with anxiety or is caring for someone maybe or maybe doesn't drive you know of any age maybe that, that, that they're struggling with confidence to get out particularly after Covid that's quite a challenge and even if you try and solve that problem with oh we'll signpost to community transport it's still an obstruction to getting them somewhere so I was quite passionate about getting something in which Wenlock and this was for a carer group actually but um We've we worked with the local charitable trust and got some funding for a carer group and it runs it has an all year. We've got a bit of a season finale next week with the Much When Not Male Voice Choir singing for us. And the group has grown and grown and grown. We've got some funding so carers can bring the cared for. But because it's driven by the surgery it's all encompassing. So I'll invite someone that's struggling with a bit of isolation maybe, come and volunteer, come and do the teas and coffees, you know, so it's for the community and it's making our community resilient. And I've put care, the concept of it, if I'm, I'm going to go on my soapbox a bit about it because I'm quite proud of it, but the, the concept of it is called Carer Connect and carers attend and they're able to bring the cared for person. And because we've got funding, we've got the right venue, we've been able to put not a lot of money, but a little bit of money. Priory Hall is a beautiful, beautiful, Beautiful venue. We've got disabled toilets, we've got a lovely kitchen, it's a real big room. And it's called Carer Connect because we're not only connecting the carers to each other. But the community, so all of the uh, relevant people that I signpost to, maybe Age UK, the Alzheimer's Society, all of these larger organisations, if you like, have community contacts, link workers. So they're invited so they can meet these people and they alternate different service providers, different sessions. They can have face-to-face contact with someone. And that means so much, particularly after COVID. You're not signposting via, here's a website, here's an email address. They're meeting someone, they're, they're seeing them. And we built up a real community. But what I'm noticing is the community are running that group now. As a surgery, I, you know, from the surgery I coordinate it. We have activities each month which enable me to physically signpost to what's available. We've got the Cavalier Centre in Much Wenlock, which is a disabled riding school. So it's for children, potentially, you know, but people of all ages, but they also do tea with a pony for dementia patients. And this year coming, we're actually having an away day, um, fragile eye session. And we go in there for afternoon tea with a pony. So I'm signposting patients to all of these, you know, services within the community that they have access to, enabling them to bring the cared for person. I've had two carers, two ladies. Priory Hall, where we have the, the group, was their school Back in the day, it was their primary school. And they sat there for the first session, holding hands, you know, chatting, and they hadn't seen each other. They both live within a couple of miles of each other, but they're both head down caring for their partners at home. So, Carer Connect is so apt because it's connecting them to the services, it's connecting them to each other, and it's connecting them to the community. And, you know, we could move on and involve the school. And there's so many things we can do. And the, the bit that's opened my eyes is these carers now, they're smiling, and, you know, it's, 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 it is making them resilient. I feel.
0: That sounds so positive. That's a joy. And and I hope that is rolled out to the rest of the country, um, because we we could all benefit from that in so many ways. Um, Lauren, in the last few minutes that we have, um, are there any misconceptions that you'd like to dispel amongst um, your clients?
1: There's uh, probably many misconceptions about mental health. Um, So it's difficult to know which ones are the most important. But I think if I was going to reassure people um that when they're coming to an appointment to see a mental health practitioner there's there's nothing wrong with that and there's nothing to be to feel anxious about some people have become very very anxious leading up to the appointment and sometimes it causes them to either cancel so that they they never actually come to see me or um or they 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 get in to see me and they almost have a panic attack because they've been so they've worked themselves up so much um before coming to see me and honestly I don't bite I'm I'm very friendly um I I'd, I'd hate to think that anybody would be um anxious or um uh and worried about coming to see me for any reason because you know I'm I'm um, I'm so soft and <laughs> and gentle I don't think I <laughs> I don't think it's um you know I'm so um we've seen a mental health professional we're, we're very non-judgmental and um this is what we're here for so um please come um we want to see you and um we will help you however big or small you think your issues are um and that that is the the, the biggest misconception I think I'd like to dispel amongst our patient group yeah
0: That's really nice to hear. And Megan, I I know that there are some things in general practice that frustrate us as healthcare professionals. I mean, just for example, the fact that we are asked to tell, uh, identify our patients who have ADHD and/or uh, autistic spectrum disorders, and/or both, about the lack of um, medications that are currently available, and we're often the last to hear. Patients can get quite angry with us because you know we haven't warned them of this shortage. So, so actually, we feel very stressed as well. And there are some things that are just beyond our control, aren't there?
3: Yeah, definitely. And um, I I think sometimes that can be difficult for for patients to understand that there has to be that liaison between, you know, primary and secondary care for things as well. Um, You know, it can be the same with if somebody goes into hospital for example and we haven't happened to have had a discharge letter back yet that's kind of surmised while they were there and what medication was started whilst they were there um, unfortunately there isn't a perfect system as of yet to allow us to directly communicate with with hospital and, and with your GP surgeries maybe that's something that will come in the future
0: yeah, we hope so. And before I let you all go, I'm just going to ask you all um, in a couple of sentences the same question. And that is, um, what are the best benefits that you see of extended teams in general practice? And what would you what would you like to see happen next to make it even better? Let me start with you, Joe.
2: I think. Oh, I think we're putting the caring back into the service, really. And what I would like to see is a bit more, um, I suppose we discussed how areas and and surgeries differ, a bit more structure, a little bit more structure to make it a little bit more of a strategic,
1: uniform approach.
0: Okay, And Lauren?
1: If things could be perfect, I'd love to have... uh, um, mental health team um we do have i forgot to mention earlier we do have um pcn uh, psychology group um as well so um they're part of our um mental health i guess pcn mental health team but i'd love to see more nurses or more um we we can be we don't have to be nurses we could be therapists or social workers as well from a different different backgrounds the mental health practitioners but i would like to see um more per pcn um because i there's a lot of people that need our service i'm very i'm very stretched for appointments and i think even patients would love it if they could see someone sooner um
3: So, yeah,
0: that's what I'd like to see. (laughs) Absolutely. And Megan, I'm sure you'd endorse that.
3: Definitely. And, you know, I think it's a, help us to help you sort of situation as well as as long as people are aware of what services are there and that they are there and when they can access them and who's most appropriate for them to see um it's it's only going to help patient care become you know safer and more efficient and um you know we are here for the patients at the end of the day so you know come and see us know who we are and um you know uses appropriately
0: absolutely well look we've heard some fantastic um ideas there we've heard about how well the extended teams are working the incredible work they're doing some amazing positivity things have got so much better despite the gloomy news that we read about all the time things actually do get better and you know there's a lot of hope and optimism and as Lauren just said, let's get some more resources, more staff um, and, and happier and healthier patients uh, down the line. Thank you all so much for joining this podcast, um, which will be shared by many. And uh, we will now flag up the, um, the website where people can get more information in the region. And once again, thank you all.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Well, thanks once again to all my guests on this episode of Think Witch Service from NHS Shropshire, Telford and REKIN. You can find out more by visiting thinkwitchservice.co.uk. Thanks for listening. Bye now.